Good morning. Good morning. I've always wanted to do this, and so hopefully you guys are excited for this. Here's my roles for success in faith. I always wanted to be a motivational speaker and give you all kinds of tools and motivate you into a life of success. And here's the rules. This is what it looks like if you were going to be successful in your faith. So first of all, here's the first one. Read the Bible every day. So if you haven't seen and you haven't been here, if you're new, the last since Easter Sunday I've been talking about as the application, if you read your Bible four times or more, God does something powerful. Alcohol goes down 60%. Stagnation in your relationship with God goes down 66% and so forth and so on. So things happen when you read the Bible. So first thing, read the Bible every day. Pray Every day. There's an opportunity for you to have a relationship. If I, don't, if I don't talk to my wife every day, my relationship is on life support. And it's the same with God if I'm not communicating. Number three, serve. Find a place to serve in society. Maybe it's home. I remember a friend of mine when I became a pastor, he's like, you have an opportunity to serve your home and serve them well and you know God blessed me with three girls and they used every bit of that service to their benefit and so find ways to serve in your community in your home uh, in your family number four worship God every day find a way to worship God here's the thing that you need to know there's an opportunity in Romans chapter 12 to say that my life is an offering before the Lord that I can pour out and worship him in everything that I do. And I think it's important that we worship God every day, find unique ways to worship God. Number five, this is the essence of this church. As we've got our women coming back from Solvang right now, we want to love the world. They're out there loving Solvang, and we want to love Ventura County in a way that radically transforms us. We don't want to be known for anything but love because God says love is the most powerful thing, and so we are to love God. If you know your Bible, it says love Count, uh, covers a multitude of sins and it covers uh, everything in this world and that's what we're trying to do. Love the world every day, one person at a time. Number six, I don't know where you're at in your discipleship, but I'm, you know, as I'm working through a discipleship place in my life, one of the things that I know is when I share the gospel and learn to share it regularly every day, it challenges me like no other. It is the, one of the largest mountains that you can actually ascend to is like, hey, you know, you're sitting in the coffee line and someone's kind of crying or weeping or struggling and they need help. And it's like, well, can I pray for you? Can I share with you what God has given? Learn to share the gospel and I promise you, it will help you become a disciple. Number seven, this is the rules of being successful. This is from me, but this is biblical. This is one out of many, or a few of these that are biblical, which is go to church regularly. The Bible says, do not neglect meeting together. Do not neglect it. Become part of it. And what's happened in the last 30 years, church has become casual. We are casual Christians, not Christmas and Easter Christians. That's not casual. They're basically on life support. Two times a year, not enough at all. Casual Christians is like, I'll give you a little bit. I'll give you some. I'm not going to give you my all. I'm going to leave a little bit for myself because of my own selfish pleasures. But Give God everything. One of that is go to church regularly. Uh, another one is invite people to church. One of the favorite things for me to do is go out to lunch after church. You know what? Your neighbors and your friends and family members, your kids, they like food too. 
If you invite them and tell them you'll buy them breakfast or a pancake, they might come as well or have a cup of coffee. Inviting people is another way. Uh, Two more, live in community. What does that mean? That means to have other Christians around you to help you, to hold you accountable, to lift you up when you've fallen, and to, to, to really reach out during those tough seasons. And I, I don't want to raise hands because I don't want to embarrass you, but I want you to think about this. This is, the, this is the community test. Who would you call today, right now, if you had a problem? And I'm not talking about, you know, I don't have gas in my gas tank to fill me up, but like a marital problem, a family problem. Who would you call? If you don't have that person, then your community needs to expand. And here's the last one. I got this from a radio program. There's a pastor up, in the, uh, up, up the road and, and teaches, uh, he said this. He says, teach your kids about politics one hour a week. And I'm like, huh, that's pretty good. I'm like, why not teach your kid about God and, you know, and, 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 and use that. And one of the things that we've done at our house and, you know, me and Liz are by, by far not the best parents, my wife Elizabeth, but we have been able to give God away to our kids. One of the things that uh, Janet Ware, our old ministry, our, our, our old, uh, past mini- women's ministry leader said this to me and Liz 13 or 14 years ago. She goes, tell your kids everything that's happening in your life, good and bad. And it's hard to tell your kids, hey, you know, I, I left my job at my old church. We don't have income and we're going to have to really kind of tighten our, 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 our budget because we don't have any money coming in. And the truth is, my kids saw God show up, build a church, and all the ups and downs, all the losses, and all the struggles, and all the blessings, and they know, because somebody gave us wise advice, teach your kids in how it changed our life. So these are 10 things. Now, not all of these are biblical, but a lot of people would like to say, well, what does it mean to belong to church? If I was giving you something, this is what I would say you'd have to do. And and honestly, you know what's not on there? Is tithing. It's not on there because I don't know if that's, that's something you've got to wrestle with, but I would say you probably need to think about that. One of the things that I learned when I first became a Christian that was truly discipling and following God was read, pray, serve, give, and, 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 um, and, and love. That's the thing. And I've been trying to follow that. And so hopefully this makes sense to you, but here's the reason why we're talking about it. Today we're going to talk about faith and culture, and we're going to talk about rules. But here's the problem. Our faith culture is intersecting with the world culture or the country culture or the state culture or this city dynamic here. And what's happening is the culture is seeing Christians may be wrong. And it's because we have a set of rules that maybe not be biblical. And we're going to get to that in just a few moments. So what does it look like today in society? In, in, in Pew Research, their church research group, they put out, this is what the church looks like. Now, this is 2014, so the numbers have changed. But this is our society as a whole. 70% say they're Christian. 5.9 are non-Christian. That would be 1.9 Jew, uh, 0.8 uh, Muslim, 0.7 Buddhist, 0.7 Hindu, and then 22.8, and that number's gone up for sure. Almost 30%, I guarantee you, are non-affiliated with agnostic and atheist being part of that group. Just, I don't believe in anything. I think it, it, there's no business for me. We just kind of go into nothing. The, the reason why I put these numbers up, this is our community. This is our culture. How are we interchanging or intersecting this group of people so they can know who we are and what we truly believe? Now, 
I don't know if you guys know this, but in society today, if you just turn on the news, I've turned it off, I'm thankfully, I'm almost three years no news, which has really been uh, a blessing. And you can tell I have to shave off the gray hair, but I have less gray hair because I'm not watching the news. But here's what it says. Today's society, the loudest person, no matter what percentage they are on here, gets heard and changes culture. The loudest person, not the largest group, but the loudest person. And so what we have is we have competed yelling uh, 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 conversations in our society today. One uh, is yelling to the other and the one that louds, uh, raises their voice, it doesn't have to be the largest group, they win. The first time I ever remember seeing this, and maybe you guys remember this if you're old enough, about 20 or 25 years ago, there was a six-year-old kid in Washington State. Maybe you remember this. A six-year-old kid. He was told he, by his parents, because his parents told him his faith, he goes, I, we don't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And remember this? Washington State. And so the kid, you know, six years old, says, I don't stand. And so what happened was the school went crazy. They're like, what do we do? This kid doesn't want to stand. And so everyone, three or 400 students didn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance for a year and a half because they didn't know what to do until they figured out it's okay to let one person not stand. They didn't understand it. And that one kid changed the whole culture. And too often today, we can't be in a shouting debate. When someone knocks on my door and wants to present me to uh, some other religion, I don't slam the door and shut the door on it. I'm like, no, it's okay. I'm a believer in Christ. I love you. I pray for you. You know, I hope God speaks to you. Holy Spirit, take over their life. And I give them an offering of love. It's easy to slam the door. They love that. You don't realize that when they slam the door, they think they just got a ticket to heaven. They're getting more on it. But when you love them, then they've got to go, hey, that person treated me differently. And I've had them in my living room and reading the Bible to them. And uh, it's not always easy, but that's what God wants us to do. We are interchanging this, this culture, but we've got to be known for what we were, what we are about. So we're going to talk about rules today, but here's the thing. Everybody that's not a believer knows what you're against, not what you're for. Now, when we say that, you've heard that in church probably several times. They know what you're against, not what you're for. Well, what are you for? I know most of you, if not all of you, are for them having a savior to forgive their sins. But that's not what they believe. They believe you have rules and there are certain things that you're shouting about that you think is wrong in society. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, but I'm saying if that's the loudest voice instead of Jesus is Lord and Savior and died for our sins and came back so that we can have eternal life, if that's not what we're known for, then we're not giving the right message. And that's what we have in this faith and culture uh, sermon series. We're trying to intersect culture and let people know what we are for. They know what we hate. And there's a lot of wrong today, a lot of wrong. I get it, but we need to know and love them. That movie, Jesus Revolution, talked about these hippies coming in, and the hippies, some of you guys probably were there in those days. They stunk. You guys stunk. And so people didn't want them in the church. They were using drugs. They were having acid. They were going to all these crazy parties, and they were a different culture. And they didn't want them in the church. And so that's where there was a struggle. And we need to open up the doors and let everyone in and hear the gospel and know that they are loved so that they can find the same thing that you found. And that's what we're trying to do with this sermon series. 
Now, if you were raised in a Christian home, not all of us were, but if you were raised in a Christian home, you were taught this. Sex before marriage is bad and hanging out with non-believers, really bad. It's gonna, it's gonna ruin your life. Those two things. Now, here's what happens. As you get older and maybe you go to college or you get away from your parents, you find out, eh, sex ain't that bad. I don't know, you guys, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe you're doing it wrong. I have no idea, but the idea here is this. And people that are non-believers, you find out aren't that bad either. They're nice, they talk, they have conversation, they have something to offer and what we have. What that says to it when you're raised and you said sex is bad and people are non-believers are bad, you find out maybe your parents lied to you and I don't think they lied to you. I didn't think they gave you a complete conversation. So our Christian kids are struggling. They have no idea what to do in this world. Here is the top browser search in YouTube right now for Christian kids under 20, 18 years old. Uh, number one, it's coming, I promise you. Pray and it might appear. Number one is can a Christian drink alcohol? That's the top search. So they don't know that your life, what you've taught them is that they can drink. The truth is they can drink at 21 modestly. That's the idea. Number one, can you drink? The answer would be yes. I don't drink alcohol because it gets in the way of my relationship with God. It's not because I'm a Mormon or anything. I drink caffeine and all that. I just don't drink because it blocks my relationship with God. But this is their, this, look it up. This is what YouTube. Number two is, can Christians get tattooed? Can I defile my skin with LA Dodgers or something crazy like that? Sorry, Joe. Uh, they want to know, can I get tattoos? The Old Testament talks a little bit about marks on your body, but the truth is, there's nothing in the New Testament that says no. In our house, my wife eloquently got, gave our daughters, was like, she would say, you guys can get as many tattoos as you want when you're 18 and not living with us, and you buy them yourself. And so that's on them, and they give them a chance, and they see the end, but this is what we believe in our house, and it's not because we think tattoos are wrong. We're just giving them a chance to say no until you really see what you want because some of those tattoos are permanent, and they don't look as good at 60 when they did at 16 or 20. You ever seen any of those? Not cute. Uh, Number three, can you date a non-believer? Yes, you can date a non-believer, but here's the thing, and we're gonna talk about it in a, in a, in a scripture in just a second. When, when we taught our girls, we had three girls, when we taught our girls about dating, we told them, you're dating someone to get to know their character, to get to know them, to see if this is someone that I wanna live with and have a, a marriage with, and you know, you're, so probably at 12, it's probably not the great idea to start dating because at 12, you're not gonna have any idea who you're like because you're gonna change and have 20 different other loves. But the idea was that you can date, but do you really wanna date someone who's not gonna wanna go to Easter service with you? Do you really wanna date someone that's not gonna wanna celebrate holidays of Christianity and, and read the Bible and raise your kids in a different rule? That's the question, that's the complete conversation. Here's the, here's the fourth one. Can you kiss before marriage? Uh, awkward. All of you are going to hell if this is true. <laughs> because the Bible doesn't say anything about kissing. It talks about sex. Jeremy talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, uh, under marriage, it's, it's, it's correct. But the truth is, it says avoid all sexual morality. And so you have to have a conversation with your child and talk about it. Because 
as you talk about sex down the road, you need to explain to them what it's gonna, what's gonna be happening when you do get married or find Mr. or Mrs. Right, and they're in a relationship, and if you have a sexual history or past and the other person doesn't, how awkward is that gonna be, and how do you work through that? Super important. So you gotta have the full conversation. Here's the last one. Is secular music evil? Well, well uh, in my former life, my favorite band growing up that I used to wait to record was called ACDC. And there's a song, I can sing it for you if you guys don't know it, it's called Highway to Hell. Probably not secular or probably not Christian. And there's a lot, not all, but there's a lot. And so you need to go, who are their influences? A lot of the musicians will go this band and this band. And so you just gotta look and see and be weary of it and understand. And again, teach your kids. We have done a good job teaching our kids. My wife and me, we'd put listen to music and we're like, do you know what that means? And my girls would be like, no, I like the song. And we would tell them and they're like, that's disgusting. And I'm like, right. And so you have an opportunity to teach while you're listening. But here's what the kids are, are, are talking about. And so the point is this. If our kids are looking at this, they're not being told at home and someone else in their school or on the internet is gonna give them an answer. And you need to have a complete conversation with them. And I get it, it's awkward and scared. My wife was so good at it. She had websites and all kinds of things to talk about bodies and things and how it made sense. And it still doesn't mean everything came out perfectly for our kids. The point is, is to have a conversation and make sure you're the one leading that conversation and tell them the impacts negatively what happens when some of these things uh, are part of your life. The point is, is this, it's easy for Christians to have a list of do's and don'ts, a, a, a list of rules. We love that. M one of my daughters, she loves rules. She was a rule follower at eight years old, 10 years old, 15 years old. Well, that, pastors can't do that. She tell me all the time and I'm like, really? Show me in the Bible where it is and then we'll see if we should follow it or not. And so she'd look for weeks and She'd find a bunch and probably true, I shouldn't be doing some of that stuff. But the idea here is, is we obsess, we become self-righteous and we obsess. The world then thinks that we're just a bunch of crazy wolf followers and that we don't really love God the way that we're supposed to. They perceive this idea of legalism in Christianity. Legalism means that we follow rules as the trademark of our faith. Is that really what your faith is about, rules? Or is it about Jesus Christ? The truth is, the trademark of our faith should be about one thing, the redemptive, selfless love of Jesus Christ. And if you just had that, and you gave that away, and only that, it would solve the problems, because it's like, no, I want you to be forgiven for whatever you're struggling with, and we need to open up the doors and let this next generation in so they can experience the same love that you've been given. And realize that legalism isn't going to get us into heaven. Christ is. And they will have that same freedom. And that's the freedom that brought me here. So we're going to read a, a place of scripture in Romans chapter 3 today. But before I want to get to it, I want to tell you the traditions of man. These are man-made traditions that the church used today. And we kind of follow them as rules. And you'll see some of them that you've heard and been taught. Some of you have been in church for 60 or 70 years. And this is how you follow. Number one is the dress code. There is no rule for dress code, but when you bring your Sunday best, we have a couple up here that bring their Sunday best every day. Thank you for doing that. We appreciate that. But what happens is, is there's no real dress code. They do it because they love to serve the Lord in that way. But you can come into whatever you want and, and however you want, and hopefully it's not super distracting to other people. But 
in this church, we've had a lot of people come in and it, there's been some distracting things and what we do is over time you love on them so they can learn to love themselves. The Bible says this, in James chapter two, it says, if you bring in someone who's rich and well-dressed and put them into the front and then you put the stinky people in the back, sorry if you're in the back today, welcome. If you put the stinky people in the back today and say, hey, you guys are back there and the, the, the nicer, richer people up front, that's wrong. That's what the Bible says. So there's no dress code. I told this to first service, so I might as well tell you this to second service. I don't know if you guys have seen my dress code. If you look back in the videos, about two years ago, I used to wear a button-down shirt and uh, nice pants, and today I got my holy jeans on. And uh, I, I used to dress differently, and here's the reason why I changed. There is a purpose for this. It's to bring people that are new to faith to feel welcome and comforted that, hey, he's wearing jeans and a shirt. I can be welcome too. And as I'm getting older, I want to teach to a younger population and I don't want to limit people from going, hey, there's something blocking me. So I've changed my dress code intentionally. It's not just because I'm lazy and it's easier to throw on a t-shirt and shirt. I've got a whole bunch of nice shirts and uh, a couple of weeks I've wore a dress shirt and everybody's like, that looks so nice. I get what you're trying to say. You don't like the t-shirt. I get it, but I have, I have a couple of people that have come to church recently, come to faith and said, man, I told my wife, the guy's wearing something that I would wear and it makes me feel comfortable. And in that there's opportunity for salvation. So there is a method to the madness. Uh, number two, building. Uh, COVID showed us that we don't need a building, right? At this church, we met the dog park is back here. Used to be an old school amphitheater. We met in the dog park. It was fantastic. It took us 20 minutes to set up, 10 minutes to tear down. Super easy. And here's the thing. There's a bunch of buildings in Europe that are uh, museums today. Nobody uses them. They're worth millions of dollars. And we believe that a building is important. A lot of people are like, oh, do you guys have a building yet? That's one of the first things people ask me in the community that don't go to Journey. And I'm like, no, we're still worshiping in a community center because it's not about a building. It's the people in the building. So you guys are the church, and that's the beautiful part about it. And on the building, you don't need a steeple, you don't need a cross, you don't need a bell or any of that stuff. You could put a cross because then it says you're a Christian church, you believe in the cross, but you don't need any of that. It can be a warehouse, it can be a community center, it's what's inside and that's the most important part. Sunday school, uh, there's some that say there's age separation that you need to separate. Well, when Jesus taught, there was goats and sheeps and llamas and all that other stuff and the kids and everything. And here's what you need to know. Kids are welcome into the sanctuary. A couple of weeks ago, Jeremy was teaching and a mom was a couple of kids and she was struggling and Jeremy's like, it's okay. We're okay. Church Kids can be in here. It's important that everybody's welcome. One of the reasons why we have kids in that other room is that it's, it gives them a chance to hear the message and the gospel with their friends but it gives you a chance to also hear the gospel without maybe fiddling around. It's okay, but it's not necessary. Age separation is not, kids are welcome into any of the services. Worship, there are many ways to worship. The church really does a good job with music, but it could be done with prayer, it could be done with meditation, it could be done in communion. There's all kinds of things that can be done. If you're looking for some advice, go to the, the biblical verse. Uh, Amen. Ephesians 5, 19 and 21, it's super important that we see there's multiple ways to worship and in that text it talks about hymns and psalms and all kinds of other ways. And here's the second thing, some people say you can't worship with string uh, instruments and drums. The Bible doesn't say that. Actually, if anything, they've got all of those times of worship in the Old Testament. So there, that's also available. 
Thank you. And the, uh, number, the third one is Bible translation. There was this huge fight uh, back in the 40s and 50s. I think 1954, there was this huge upheaval about Bible translations. And it was when the New King James came in and they took the these and thous and the yees out, which is super hard for me because I'm dyslexic. So that was a really hard reading. And then when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, that brought another translation because the actual scrolls they found are 150 years old older than the ones that we were translating. And so people were like, oh, the work of the enemy, there's Bible translations. There's not an approved Bible translation. The New King James is good. I know a bunch of people still read it, but other translations are good. We use the NLT, New Living Translation, for a reason. Number one, it's the easiest to read because I'm dyslexic. I struggle sometimes. And secondly, it's the easiest to hear and to follow from the pulpit. It was made for Sunday so that people can hear the text. Denominations, you don't need to belong to a denomination. I had a friend of mine yesterday say, hey, what's your denomination? I'm like, we're a non-denomination. He's like, oh, cool, I like that. And I'm like, cool, and I, what, do you, what is a denomination? He goes, I have no idea what a denomination is. I know I like non-denomination. I'm like, okay, cool. So you don't have to be a Baptist or a Presbyterian or any of that. You can, you know, that's just one of the ways to show your community, but you don't have to have a denomination. A couple more altar calls. I love at the end of like Easter service or some of the big to have people come up and, you know, pray and worship and do all of that, but it's not necessary. You can be saved by just confessing your faith. And I've seen a lot recently that say there's nowhere in the Bible that says that you have to confess and, and, and believe, but it's not true. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, look it up if you don't believe me. It says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you can be saved by, by, by receiving Jesus. And so it can be done in your seat. It can be done by checking a card. It can be done wherever you're at and you can receive Jesus. It doesn't have to be done with an altar call. And the last one, Jeremy would always say these words, membership. There's a lot of ink. Jeremy would say, oh, there's a lot of writing. A lot of churches all over the country are talking about membership. Now, there's nothing wrong with membership, but they're saying that it's implied. And when, when we say man is implying membership, that means that we're putting it out there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be done. There's a lot of implied membership, but when we're making an implication, we're kind of adding to. And so membership isn't necessary. At, at Journey, here's our membership. If you come to church, if you worship God, if you serve and, 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 and you consider this your place you're a member of the kingdom of God we are a, a big kingdom of God church we we promote the kingdom of God more than the little castle of Jesus uh, of journey the church so what does Paul say Paul says this first Corinthians 10 23 uh, and, and and honestly for a guy like me I don't know if you guys know my story or my testimony but for a guy like me these words really bring home how I feel and even in Romans chapter 3 that we're going to read I have a right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I can do anything. When I read this verse, when I was reading this, when I was in jail, locked up, I read this verse and it said, I could do anything. And I'm like, yes, because I'd broken a lot of rules. And so I had a right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. It says, I have a right to do anything, but not everything's constructive. I have a right to date a non-believer, but is it going to benefit my children and my relationship if I want to go to church every Sunday and the other person doesn't want to? I have that right, but is it beneficial? I have a right to kiss and have sex before marriage, but is it going to build my relationship up when I'm in a marriage and there's other things that have happened and is it going to block how I worship God? I have a right, but it's not constructive to build a relationship. That's the complete conversation. 
So what are the rules? Well, we've been given 10 commandments and everybody, uh, we're gonna all recite the 10 commandments and if you don't know all of them, no donut. <laughs> Just kidding, we're not gonna do that. But here's the thing about the 10 commandments. Jesus came to fulfill the commandments, not abolish them. The Ten Commandments were given to us from God to Moses. He brought them down, and they were the fulfillment. Jesus came, I come to fulfill these. And so in that, he then gives us these Ten Commandments and other laws. But let's look at this slide. The first commandment is do not worship any other gods. Do not make any idols uh, to God. That's the second one. Uh, do not misuse the name of God and keep the Sabbath holy. If you, if you see that, the first ones are for God on how to build a relationship. It's like put nothing before God. Don't put anything. And then at the end, it says the block. And these come from Exodus. And then the, the next five are for man. How do we relate and worship God? How do we do that? Well, here's what it says. It says, honor your mother and father. One of the ways that we love the world is that we honor our mother and father. So you have the first four are, are, are for God. And then the second are how we relate to mankind. So this is how you live in a community. This is a world uh, a community. And so most other religions of, the, uh, of that chart that we talked about from Pew Research steal from the Ten Commandments. If you look at other religions, they follow the same Ten Commandments. They might reword it and they might put it up as their own. But most of them, if not all of them, borrow from this. Don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. In the Bible, the Old Testament, the first part with all the words and the history, there's 613 laws. Now, not every one of those laws was for Camarillo Christians or Ventura County Christians or California Christians or Christians in the United States. They weren't built for 2023. Some of them were camping rules in the desert as they were heading uh, towards the promised land. Some of those rules were for the Jewish people to keep right with God before Jesus came into the world. Not all of them were meant for Christians today. There's 613 laws, but some of them are really obscure. If your kid, here's one of the rules. I didn't say this in first service. Here's one of the laws. If your kid's acting out, uh, stone them. our kids' ministry would be really small. And you guys probably wouldn't be here because some of you acted out a lot when you were kids. So we'd have nobody here. Those are some of the rules. And some of those laws are no longer for Christians today because Jesus came to fulfill them. But in our society, do you know how many crazy laws? There's hundreds of laws that are still on the books in, in, in California. Let me give you a couple of examples. Have you guys ever seen these? Let me give you one. In San Diego, it's illegal to shoot a rabbit from the back of your car. Don't do that. You're going to go to jail. You not shoot rabbits from the back of your car. So most of you are going to have to bust out the window. So some of you are okay, but most of you are going to have to pop that out. How about in San Jose? It's illegal to have more than two cats or two dogs at the same time. Illegal. Not too many pets or you're going to miss out. And I'm sure it was for one of those animal lovers back in the day. How about this? Indian Wells. Anybody know where Indian Wells is? It's very near Coachella. Here's a good one. It's illegal to drink cement. It'll clog you up. <laughs> it's good that you know that, but if you go to Coachella and you drink cement in Indian Wells, you're probably going to go to jail, if not the ER first and then the jail second. So it's illegal. 
There's a couple more. Portola, you guys know where Portola is? No person may carry a fish into the bar. Don't do that. You're going to go to jail. If you bring a fish into the bar, there's a good chance you're not going to make it. You're going to head to jail. Go straight to jail uh, and get bailed out. How about this one? In L.A. County, it's illegal to have a zoot suit. No more zoot suits. Can't have a zoot suit. So all the Halloween costumes, don't get a zoot suit in L.A. County. You're probably going to be end up in county main jail. And here's the last one. This is the best one. It's illegal to play bingo drunk in Fresno. <laughs> Do not get drunk on the bingo floor or you will go to jail. All those laws are on the books and have been on the books for years, some 80 or 90 years. The zoot suit laws, I don't know if you know the history of L.A. County. There was zoot suit riots and stuff, so that became illegal. They've been on the books for a long time, and some of those laws are similar to the laws that we see in the Old Testament. Here's what Paul writes about this. In Galatians chapter 3, 4, this is an important part. This is an important way to study the Old Testament. It says, the laws was the guardian until Christ came. The law was the guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So let me give you an example. We have a freeway that goes right through our county. It's called the 101. The, the actual boundaries are what we're to stay in and we're to go one way, northbound and southbound. Now, I've been to Taiwan uh, 20 years ago. It's been 25 years now in Taiwan. Their morning commute, they have the same 101, but everybody goes down one way no matter what. Doesn't matter what side of the freeway. There's no, they don't follow the laws. They just want to get to work ahead of everybody else. So there's only one way and on the way out, they go the same way. And if you're trying to go against traffic, you're in trouble. They just don't follow the rules. But here's what the Bible says is that these are guardians until Christ came so that we can be made right. We follow this northbound and southbound laws of the 101 so that people can say, say safe and we can get to where we want. Now, we're gonna, I, I'm going to just read Romans chapter 3. It answers a lot of questions about the law. It answers a lot of questions on what the law is for us. But here's the thing that you need to know. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of, of Romans to a Roman church that he'd never been to. Uh, some of the other books, Ephesians and Philippians and all these other books, he had actually physically was there, Corinthians. But Romans, he never went there. And so he was doing a little bit different writing to the churches. And Paul was trying to become a, a doctorate of sorts in Judaism. He was trying to become one of the heads of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would be like uh, our Congress where they lead the church and be like this and there'd be a high priest in the middle and then everybody around this would, would, would be following what the high priest and they were trying to lead all of Judaism. So he was on track to become uh, the leader of the Jewish religion. And then he met Jesus and his life was radically turned upside down. But let me give you an example today. Uh, one of our pastors, he was singing today, Jeremy. Jeremy's heading towards a doctorate and he's, he's a great example of what happened to Paul. Jeremy is heading towards a doctorate in Christian theology and, and if he was heading towards getting his degree and getting his uh, uh, diploma and he's got that goofy hat that they wear, the doctor one's really weird looking. And, and then all of a sudden he is radicalized by Muslims 
This would be Paul's story today, that Jeremy then starts preaching Muslim and Allah is Lord and it's only through Allah. That's what happened to Paul. Paul was heading towards down a religion of Judaism and then he was intersected by God and his life was changed and then he started preaching Christianity to the point that Jewish people didn't want to be around Paul or the Christians didn't want to be around Paul because they're like, this guy wants to kill us. And that's the radical life. And so now Paul, the reason why I'm bringing this up, Paul knows the law of Judaism really well. And now he's going to explain to us, and I'm just going to read what he writes and kind of show you uh, how he understands the law. And we need to understand that he is the foremost of the law, especially back in that day. And in uh, Romans chapter 3, I'm going to jump down to verse 10. In my Bible, it says, all people are sinners. That means you and me. And then it says, as the scriptures say, and he's, re he's referring to scripture, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and Isaiah 59, the same scriptures say this, and he's speaking to the people about what the laws in the Old Testament say. He says, no one is righteous, not even one. No, no preacher on TV, no preacher in Camarillo or Ventura County, nobody, no elder, no Sunday school teacher, no one in your house, no one in my house, not one is righteous. Then it says, no one is truly wise and no one is seeking God. That one hurts me. Every time I read that, no one's seeking God, that, that gets to me. We'll talk about that in a second. All have turned away and become useless. Uh, many times the Israelites walk away from God in the Old Testament. No one does good, not a single one. That's you and me. This is us. This is who we are uh, with regards to the law. They talk foul like a stench from an open grave on Monday morning. I added Monday if you guys didn't see that. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouth are full of curses and bitterness Monday through Saturday as we live in this world. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. Virginia Woolf writes, you can't find peace by avoiding life. What we believe in our society today is cut the cancer out. Cut the sin out. If you just cut it out. I don't know about you, but I know a bunch of people that have had surgery and have cancer removed, and guess what happens? Sometimes it comes back. Sin does the same thing. It creeps back in. You've got, you can't just remove it. You've got to deal with it from the inside, and you do that not by following the law, but you do that by following Jesus Christ. Let's, let's continue. Uh, they all have no fear of God at all. They don't have peace, and they all have fear of God at all. And so... Paul is setting the stage for us. This Old Testament scripture is pointing to a time and to a world and to a culture that is wicked and sinful. And it's saying they need a savior and they need a life for Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying mankind or humanity is guilty of sin. All of us from past, present, and future have sin riddled in our life and we need a savior and that savior saves us. So let me ask you this question. How do you know that, you know, I read my Bible? Am I good? And, and I'm, I'm using this as an illustration. Do you know, has anybody actually seen me read my Bible before? I just read it now, but how do you know I read it on Monday or Sunday or Friday? And, and, and am I good? The Bible actually says I'm not good. But here's what people do. We have a pastor we love online or on TV. We have a pastor on the radio. We see him. We don't really know him, but they're like, well, they're good people. We have no idea. And it's the same with me. 
you know what, we're just human beings and my job, my job, I believe God has told me a long time ago, come to church, be humble, tell all of your worst stories so people know that you're just an average person that's trying to live a life for the kingdom of God. Because I'm not good. Apart from the gospel, I am a, a, a wrench that's been saved. That's the idea. And the only way that you'll know if I'm good is if you have a relationship with me and you're like, oh, there is some fruits of the Spirit there. There is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. There is a level of self-control. You wouldn't think it, but there is a little bit. Not great, not, not a lot. I got a lot of work to do. But here's what Paul is trying to say. He says this, obviously the law applies to those whom it's given. For it was purposed to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world is guilty before God. The idea of the law is to show that you and I, pastor, preacher, rabbi, uh, imam, whatever we believe, we are all guilty and we need a savior. That's the idea of the law. And says for, it says, uh, verse 20, and this is my favorite verse, for no one can ever be made right with, with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows how sinful you are. So for someone like me, this makes me feel so comforted. When I first read this, I felt so comforted because I'd broken many laws. I've done things that I wasn't happy about. And when I read this, it felt like I can be part of this family regardless of what my past looks like. So comforting to me. So the law is a measuring stick. It's a tape measure. Now, I don't know if you guys have this at your grandma's house or your parents' house, but my mom uh, and, her, and her door has this wall, and it's got a bunch of measuring sticks of uh, where the kids have grown. And mine's been about the same. It might be actually shorter. But if we measured this way, it's growing back and forth this way. The outline's getting bigger and smaller sometimes. Uh, the idea here is that the law just points to be a measuring stick. Verse 21, but God... But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. What we receive from Moses now is a blessing because it's no longer being held against us. The Jewish people were just to see that, hey, we need a savior. I need you, God. Help me overcome my doubts and my unbelief and my sinful life. But what happened is the, the, the people started to follow the law saying, if I just follow the law, God will see that I'm trying to be the best little student that I could possibly be. And that's not what Christianity is about and honestly that's not what the old testament was about we are made right with god by placing our faith in jesus christ this is true for everyone who believes no matter what when i love him it's easy to obey when i'm in love with jesus when i'm in love with who he is whatever he puts on me it's easy to obey and you're going to see there's not much that he puts on us i jump down to verse 27 to save time can we boast then that we have done anything that can be accepted by God? No, it's nothing that we have done. He says, no, because our acquittal or the mercy of God is not based on obeying the law, thank you, Jesus, it's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith, not only by obeying the law. Again, these words bring me comfort and peace because it's not about people living a life about following the rules. In, in, in our country, if you follow the rules, you don't go to jail. Does that mean you're a good person? Not necessarily. You could be a horrible person. You just don't want to go to jail. So you follow the traffic laws and the governance laws. It doesn't mean you're a good person. It's the same in faith. As a sinner, my dishonesty and my sinfulness highlights God's trustworthiness and faithfulness 
so that when I believe that I need a savior, that brings him glory. When you say, Lord, help me, that brings him glory because he realizes you understand that all have fallen short and we are sinners and that we can't fulfill this standard that God has given us. We are all sinners and we can't meet the mark. And so uh, when we miss the mark, we have a savior to help us. So what does it all mean and when can I get a donut? Some of you already snuck out a donut, so you're probably not going to make it into heaven. So what does this all mean? What does it mean? Well, the truth is this church is founded on Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, but I want to read a little bit. There's this moment where Jesus is talking about the resurrection to a group of people like the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and Pharisees, and he's trying to tell them about what's going to happen in the resurrection. And here's what he says. Now, one of the scribes had come up come up and heard the debate, noticing how well Jesus answered them, he asked the question that many in here and many online are listening, what commandment is the most important of all? So in essence, the question is, what rule is the most important? What should I do as a Christian? What law should I follow more than anything else? What's gonna get me into heaven? What's gonna make me the most complete? And Jesus then refers to them, going back to the Old Testament, the stuff that God gave him, the laws that God was given, he says, these are the two. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, and Leviticus, Jesus replies, the most important, he says this, hear, O Israel, he's pointing to the Jewish people, and he's saying, this is the law that God has gave us, and it's still alive today. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's the same God in the Jewish Bible as he is the same God in the Christian Bible. And so then he says, verse 30, Deuteronomy, he's referring to Deuteronomy. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. This is not casual. Today in Christianity, we have a lot of casual Christians. And I'm, what I mean by that is, it's not that you wear casual clothes, but you're not giving your all. What does this say? It says, love the Lord your God with all. Not 90%, not 80%, not 99%. And you're, oh, I'm going to keep that 1% because I feel comforted by keeping that 1% because I, I like to have a few vices. No, he says, give it your all. A casual relationship's not going to get to where God wants. And then he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. There's two commands. These are the ones. Love is the ultimate rule. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Love is the ultimate rule. And how do I show this world? And all this stuff you're hearing today, if you've been in church for years, you've heard it before. But when you put it together, here's what it says. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When you follow those two great commands, your love has an opportunity to cover a multitude of sins, to bring people into church that don't necessarily belong to church or think they belong to church that that are against maybe your political stance or uh, whatever you want in society that needs a change if we bring them in here and let their culture intersect the Christian culture which is the Bible and his word and the truth of the universe they have an opportunity to have what you have which is live a right life with God 
And so I, I found this online and I kind of shaped it for us today, but here's what we need to do. And this is just kind of a paragraph of better rules than the rules I gave you. Live holy before God. That's loving the Lord with everything. Live holy with yourself. Live moderately. Moderately means be soberly. And I don't drink alcohol, not because it's illegal. I don't because it, it blocks my relationship with God. But if you're going to drink, drink moderately. Do things moderately so it doesn't look out that you don't have self-control. Let yourself be modest and reserved that kind of uh, amplifies what's said with your neighbors live honestly let your life be modest and reserved your manners courteous your warnings friendly your forgiveness willingly your promises true your speech wide share gladly with the bounties that you've received and finally love at all costs at all time love always if this becomes a way of life for you if this is something that you can do it's got an opportunity to really show the community and the world who you are. So if you go back to my rules, these are, these are man-made rules. Some of them are biblical, like going to church, but it doesn't tell us I'm mandated to read the Bible. Jesus says to pray every day. So some of these have some biblical uh, ties to it, but it's really just what I believe is going to help you with faith. And the truth is, the one that's not on there, that I took off intentionally so I didn't make it about money, giving. Listen, one of the things that made me a greater disciple was to give, and even when it hurt, and that has helped me. And I'm not saying that because we want your money. I'm saying that helped me become a better disciple. The ultimate end here is to be obedient. That's what we're to teach as a church. What am I being obedient to? To being obedient to loving the Lord with everything that I have. When I love the Lord correctly with everything that I have, I'm a better husband. I'm a better friend. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better driver on the road. Not much, but a little bit. But when I love, it's easy to obey. When I'm in love and when I give everything my all. And so here's the two rules. Obey the Lord by loving him with everything. Not 90%, not 95%, not 99.4%, but try and give him everything. And if you don't know how to do it, say a prayer or go back to the prayer team and say, Lord, help me with my unloving heart. And then the second thing is the golden rule. The Bible says is do unto others, but I say, Say, love others the way that you want to be loved. The best way to love people is to love them the way that you want to be loved. In your marriage, in your relationship, your parents, uh, your children, uh, your neighbors, it's hard to do. But love others as you want to be loved and watch the world transform you. So I want to close with this. We all stand up. If you're online, just kind of find a place to stretch. If you're in the car, just put your hands up. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask God to help us love the people that we struggle to love. And you guys all have different th people that you struggle with. But maybe there's someone in your family. You got that crazy aunt or uncle or, or uh, uh, maybe a parent or a child you're struggling with. Or someone politically, someone in your job, someone in your church, that pastor that won't shut up. I ask that you just open up your heart and let God in. And so let's pray. And then at the end, I'm going to pray for salvation. Father, we just stand before you today and I pray that you help us love. Love with everything that we have so that we can love you and follow that rule. And then, Lord, with that love, help us love this world. Let those two rules become our everything so that this world knows that we are about loving you and loving others above all else. And all those other things will be washed in the glory of God because of our love for this world. 
If there's someone here or someone online that doesn't know Jesus, all they have to do is confess with their mouth and believe their heart that Jesus is Lord and then you can be part of the kingdom of God just like that. And if that's you, all you have to say is this simple prayer. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, into my soul, and be my Savior. You died upon the cross for me. And you rose again three days later so I can be in eternity. And now I give you my everything. Holy Spirit, take over my mind, my body, my soul, and my strength. And help me follow you all the days of my life. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship Jesus.